A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. Today, I have uh, Anna Anderson with me. Uh, Anna is the founder and CEO of a company called Formulated By, and also something um, we're going to call it the Data Science Salon, which is the most diverse data science community around. Uh, she's been recognized by CNN uh, three years in a row as a tech industry leader, and I'm really happy to have you with us today, Anna. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. So, um, you know, there's a part of me that itches to kind of get right into the, the, the business itself. I've got so much curiosity around it. And um, you also have a story. And, and there, is, there is a path that takes you to being recognized as a tech industry leader. Um, it's always where I like to start the show because the path is the key part of, of everything that we'll talk about. And I wondered if you would share that path with us. You know, your story, your trials, your tribulations. How does one become a tech industry leader in today's world? Sure. So my, my path was definitely not an easy one. Um, my family immigrated here from Moscow, Russia in 1995. And, um, you know, pretty much I didn't, I mean, I spoke a little bit of English, but I was pretty much thrown into camps right away that summer to learn the language and kind of just integrate with the culture um, and just go from there. Um, I, how, how old were you at that time? I'm kind of curious. I was only 10. You were only 10. So, but so 10, your, your language is established. Was it hard for you to learn English or did it come fairly naturally? Because your English is very good. Thank you. Well, I went to a private English school since I was in Moscow when I was about five, I started learning English. So it kind of was always part of my life. And, um, so I kind of, it was definitely not an easy path to the first year I was here. Uh, kids definitely made fun of me and my accent, but then I kind of just got through it and got past it. And, you know, here I am now. Well, where um, did you live at the time? Because you, you have kind of, I think you almost have like a Midwest accent. Giving the accent I do hear that sometimes, but I, my family moved to San Francisco. Okay. So that's how I really got, you know, my start in tech, because that was really the main industry there at the time. And my dad bought us uh, first computer probably about a year after we moved um, to San Francisco and it was a Mac and that's how I really got started. And I really loved using it and I loved learning everything on there. And I actually started, my first business was uh, when I was about 15, I started my friend eBay came out. I started my first business uh, selling shoes and handbags on there. And I found a re- you know, somebody in China that was selling them in bulk. I would buy them, get them shipped, and then I would put them on eBay. And that was really kind of what, how I started in uh, business world. So just by learning and looking at the technology that was there and taking advantage of that to make money. So, um, so that was my first thing. And that's how I saved for college. Um, and then after that, I uh, went to college and I actually dropped out of college to start my first startup, which was called Baseball Beauties. Um, and that was, again, something that was very different from anything that was out there. It was a community for female baseball fans. Um, and at the time, I was actually dating a baseball player, and I really wanted to learn about baseball. And there was really 
not a lot out there for women to really understand the game. So I created this community. And at the time, you got to understand this was, gosh, this was like 2004, right? And there really wasn't any more, you know, online marketing classes. There was no way to learn SEO. There was really, this was all just kind of coming out. Content marketing was very new. So I literally, I learned and by doing, I went to a lot of conferences. I went, I took some, you know, random classes at some colleges that were offering, you know, SEO courses or content marketing courses. And I just went out there and I asked a lot of questions and um, I learned and I actually grew that community to half a million women. And it got acquired when I was 25 by a Japanese company that literally just approached me and they, they said, we love what you're doing. Uh, they brought me out to Tokyo. That was a really awesome experience. And I mean, I was, you know, at the time I was just, uh, you know, in my early twenties, just figuring out what I was doing. Um, and that was, you know, the, that experience really kind of helped me get to my next career path of being a tech influencer, because I think people recognize that I did something special. I mean, even though the exit wasn't huge, it was pretty significant for somebody that was 25 at the time. Um, and then after that, I got a lot of different offers to do a lot of different things. And I actually chose to, um, uh, take a position as a CEO of a company called Forcing, And it was actually, uh, we were pretty heavy comp- competing with Dropbox at the time. Um, and I got pretty far with it, but it didn't work out. So that was kind of my first failure. Um, the company is still around, uh, but it's not, you know, it didn't really make it because Dropbox was, they raised so much more money and they were doing so well, but that's okay. So I think, you know, what I learned from that is that you could always, you know, fail and you learn from that. So, and then you just try again. Um, and then after that, I started raising more money for another idea, um, which actually came to me very, in a very interesting way. Um, the funeral industry, you know, came together and they wanted to build something to help, um, the personal experience when somebody dies. And they actually recruited me to build that product. And that was called Pasari. So, um, for that, I was raising money and I definitely, um, that was a really hard thing to do for a woman in her, you know, you know, early mid twenties. Uh, I was definitely told that, you know, you can't write a business plan. There was actually a really credible VC in Silicon Valley that told me that he didn't believe that I wrote a business plan for that company. And, um, Uh, you know, instead of being discouraged, I actually went and I wrote on, you know, I wrote a blog about it. I didn't expose the guy, but I basically shared my story and I got a lot more support and I got the money that I was looking for, um, from a different fund. Um, so raised about $10 million for that and, um, worked on that for a couple of years. And we got acquired, um, by an insurance company in Texas. And that was my last exit. So, but after that, I decided that I probably don't want to raise any more money. Um, so I actually, one of the investors in that company from Bloomberg introduced me to Domino Data Lab. And that was how I got into the data science space. And at the time, Domino Data Lab was basically, nobody knew what it really was. And I didn't really know either before joining, but I thought it was really interesting 
And um, it was a data science platform. So what is a data science platform, you might ask? Well, nobody knew that at the time, so we had to figure that out as we were building it. Um, So I came in as the first pretty much hire for, I did marketing for them. It was just me and the founders. And um, I was there for a couple years and got the company to, now it's a billion dollar company. Um, And I started formulated buying data science salon out of that because um, the community part of it was really strong. And you asked, what is a data science community earlier? And um, I could tell you that I think any kind of community really helps you grow your business and your product. So that's always been a strategy that I've always implemented in my career. And I did the same with Domino. And now I'm doing this with Data Science Salon and formulated by. So we help companies like Domino pretty much connect with the data science community that we've built. And I've been doing this for about almost six years now, the longest project I've ever done. I love what I'm doing and I'm really excited where we're going to go. And I haven't raised any money. We're very profitable. We have a great team and I'm really excited to continue growing. Okay. So um, I'm just going to backtrack a couple of questions, but so it was, was it Domino that you helped build to a billion dollars then? Yes. And so is, is this part of Domino in the greater picture? You, you started your own thing. No, I'm just a hair holder. Yeah. I'm just a shareholder of Domino now. Got it. So, but yeah. And so, you know, what, how big was Domino when you started with them? It was just the founders and uh, they had one developer and myself. And how many people when you guys, uh, when, when, when you decided to become a shareholder and, and kind of move into your own thing? Well, I definitely made sure I got my stocks probably a year after I joined. Yeah. So I became a shareholder right away. And then I left the company two years after that. And I think they had around I think 200 people at the time. And now they have over a thousand. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I think we just need to pause right there. That is tremendous growth in a short period of time. And I, I know we all hear the stories about tech companies that just, you know, just boom. And, you know, they go from, from zero to, to billions overnight, but it's not that simple, right? I mean, yeah, tech has the potential of going that way, but it also has the, 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 the potential of going sideways as you described in the, the first company, which was the competitor to Dropbox here. Dropbox is a big company today. Back then, nobody knew what Dropbox was either. Um, and, you know, so I'd love to know what were some of the things that you learned in that first failure that you were able to leverage um, as you came into Domino and Grow? Gosh, I've definitely learned a lot. I just, um, I think it's really about um, picking the right allies, you know, and partners and that can help you. And I think I really didn't have that support at Forcing uh, to really make it what it could have been. Right. And also hiring. I think I definitely at that time, I didn't really understand how to hire correctly. Um, And I think, you know, even now, uh, that's a huge thing about hiring the right people and having the right team that really believes in your mission. And I think, again, that comes with I do believe that comes with experience. And I feel like I just at that time, I mean, I was very ambitious. I was very smart, but I did not have as much experience to really do all those things that I was able to do at Domino because I had another company that I did afterwards and I got to do all of those things successfully. 
And I think it just takes, I mean, it really takes not practice, but it just takes failure to really succeed and really learning what you need to do. Well, you know, I mean, you know, yeah, absolutely. There's a certain amount of experience and failures um, that we're going to learn from. And I mean, you were really young in that first experience for as, as far as CEOs go, even tech CEOs. Um, it's, you know, I, I guess you know, one of the things I think about is I, I've met a lot of young first time tech CEOs and there tend to be a lot of big egos that, that, that get attached with some of them. Not all of them. I've met some really good humble ones. And I always believe the humble ones are going to be a little more successful because they recognize those that can help them. Uh, had an experience, you know, not too long ago, maybe, uh, maybe it was about 10 years ago, this, this young tech CEO, somebody introduced me to him and said, Hey, you know, I, I think you could help him. I think you can mentor him a little bit. And clearly within the first minute, minute of conversation, it was, it, it was impressed upon me that he knew everything and didn't need anybody's help. And, you know, a year later, his, his business was gone, you know? Um, and so that, sometimes you, you, you have this kind of almost false success because someone invests in you early on and the ego kind of gets in the way. Now, there are others that it just, look, you just don't, like you said, you don't have that experience. Um, hiring and right people, we talk, that, that's, that's a common thread that comes up with a lot of businesses um, is right people. When, when, you were, um, when you were with that early company, um, I'm sorry, I, I, I should have kept a note on the, the name of that, that first one, um, but when you were with that first company, did how much autonomy did you have for hiring, and um, and and what was it that you were looking for in those days versus what do you look for today? I mean, I feel like in those days I was just looking for people that were in the same industry, maybe people that were in competitive competitive companies that wanted to switch ship. Um, I. I wasn't really, now I'm looking for people that are more passionate. You know what I mean? I'm looking for people that care, that want to be, that believe in the same mission. Um, I think that's really important. And that's how you really build a successful team. If you find people that really, they kind of drink your Kool-Aid, if you, you would say, you know, they really, they believe in the product. Um, I didn't, you know, back then I was just looking for people that could do the job. I wasn't really thinking about, the bigger picture or the mission or really selling that, that to them. Right. So I feel like that was the big disconnect for me back then in hiring versus now. Um, because now I really understand that if you really want to have, especially for the executive team, you really need to have people that really are aligned with your mission and values and can really help you get to the next level. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's funny. Again, it's, it's the common story. Mission-driven companies that have mission-driven cultures, people who are aligned to the culture, every single time are going to outperform the ones that don't have don't have such things. Um, we're actually coming up already on our first break, so um, so I'm going to ask everybody stay tuned. We're going to continue this this conversation with Anna Anderson Anna Anderson as soon as we get back, and um, we'll continue talking about culture and and what's needed to be successful. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity 
purpose and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Anna Anderson. So Anna, just before we went to the break, we had started talking a little bit about, you know, people being the leverage point. And um, one of the things that comes to my mind as we talk about people and all that is, is culture. Right. And culture has become a big buzzword in today's business community, but culture has always existed. I mean, culture really is defined as, you know, the norms and behaviors established in a group of people and an an organization, a company is a group of people and culture can be um, unintentional. And sometimes you can end up with a good culture and sometimes you can end up with with a bad culture Um, or it can be highly intentional, which means you get you get the culture that you want. Uh, a friend of mine always said that 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 you know um, you, you know the behaviors you get are the behaviors you tolerate, right? And in you know there are, I've heard horror stories about companies that have horrible cultures, et cetera, and some of them have gotten big in spite of it, just because they're they're hard pressing, uh, or maybe the That's culture right. is a good culture for a certain subset of people. Um, what I want to talk to you a little bit about is is as you came into Domino. Um, what was your level of consciousness for the type of culture that you wanted? So did the culture form kind of on its own and did you learn about, you know, the importance of mission and values or did you really kind of come in saying, you know what, I've had these, um, I've had these, these kind of mistakes with people in the past. I've had cultural issues with people. I don't want to tolerate that anymore. Here are the kind of people I want. Um, you know, what was your level of consciousness as you started this, this path with Domino? So it's funny that you asked that about Domino because I came into uh, a culture that already existed and the founders actually came from Bridgewater, which has their own kind of manifesto and they try to kind of implement that into the culture of Domino. So I didn't really have a lot of say there um, and that's probably why I didn't stay that long. I only stayed to really help them grow, but the culture was very not for me. So I think that's a really great idea, like great question because that really forced me to start my own company because I saw that I could build a better culture. I can build, build a more inclusive culture because I was definitely, I did not feel like I was in, you know, it was not inclusive at all. So, you know, and I think that they're, they are a successful company. They have built, you know, $2 billion business, but the culture was definitely not my culture. And that, that's why I was so excited to start my own company and really build my culture. Yeah. You know, um, that's a, that is really a great point that you're making. It's amazing how often people don't recognize that they are not a good fit. You know, we, we talk a lot 
you know, because I'm always talking with CEOs about finding people who are a good fit for the culture, right? And the, the, how difficult it is to find those people. And it's a two-way street. I, I've coached a lot of friends to leave their organizations because what they didn't realize they were struggling with is that they were a bad fit for the culture also. And I often say there's no such thing as a good or bad culture. It's about fit. It's good or bad fit. So, you know, we can judge their culture as being a good or bad culture based on our own, like, um, our own, uh, vision of it, our own perception, right. right? It's, it's, it's our experiences. When we say something's good or something's bad, that's an opinion that we create. What we're really saying is when we say something's bad, we're really saying it's not for me. And exactly. the power yeah. of, of, of actually taking on, and yet you still stayed there for two years and you still grew a business. Um, and I'm sure three, that you, you three, would, years. <laughs> yeah. three years and I'm, and yeah. I'm sure you spent time, you know, finding people that fit their culture because they yes, wouldn't have grown. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, and that was definitely a challenge because, you know, if, if the culture is not really, if I'm not best fit for the culture and finding people, hiring people for that culture, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's a challenge, but I did it. And, you know, they have really strong marketing team now. Um, so, and they're doing well. And I feel like, yeah, it was just not the culture for me, but it is, it works for some people, you know, it yeah. works for them and it works for their organization. Yeah. So. It's, you know, I think of other companies like, well, I mean, look at Amazon, one of the biggest companies in the world. And you'll hear people that absolutely love Amazon and love working there. And you'll, you'll hear people that'll say it's the worst culture in the world. Well, what's right. I mean, they have a very deliberate culture. I mean, it's, it's yep. designed. It's very, very deliberate how they look at things, how they look at people. Other great people, they're actually quite even handed in things. You know, people will say, Oh, you know, they didn't treat me right or this or that. Actually, they treat everybody exactly the same. The rules are very clear and it's spelled out. And people don't like it when they find that they're not a fit for that, right? Um, so, you know, again, back to intention. So as you left and then started building what you're building now, what, um, what were the cornerstones of your culture? So when we talk about cornerstones, we talk about values. We talk about, you know, the mission and purpose of the company. You know, what was, what was really, what makes you tick, I think? Because cause it's always reflective of the founder in some way. What, what, are, what are yours and thus your company's core values? What, what is your mission? So for us, I mean, it really, for us, it's really diversity. It's really inclusion. It's really sharing information with other people to help them solve problems, right? So it, it's very different from what I've experienced in tech altogether. Uh, but I tend to hire mostly women um, and uh, people from LBGT community, you know, and people that really share those values of inclusivity and diversity. And that's really how we were able to grow and build our community um, of, you know, everybody that is super inclusive, you know, and that's definitely not what I've experienced in not only Domino, but just in tech technology in general, you know, it was very, very heavy male dominated space. Uh -huh. um, and I think it's getting better now, but throughout my whole career, I've definitely experienced being pushed out, being bullied, you know, if I didn't have the same beliefs or being made, you know, I was asked to hire people that I didn't believe that were the right people for the role because they fit more into the culture, you know, of the company that I was working for. Right. So, yeah. and that's really hard for me because I think this person is great, but Hey, we like that person better because maybe they fit into our culture or they think they fit in better. Right. 
So that's definitely been a challenge for sure. My whole career. Do do you see, I mean, obviously your company's changing that. Um, Do you see it changing? I mean, equity, diversity, and inclusion has become, um, it's become a thing really for companies in the last few years when I really, did it ever have to be a thing? I mean, shouldn't we have always been this way? <laughs> right. Right. Course, I mean, yeah. you know, it's, I think about it cause, cause even my family's business when I was growing up was a very diverse organization, uh, you know, and, and I think about how many, you know, women and, and people of all different races and types and, you know um, you know, we had, we, we had people in executive positions with, with all the different orientations and, you know, and, and I think back on it and, and that was back in the, like the eighties when, when nobody would talk about that stuff. And it's like, we just never really cared what somebody's sex, race, sexual choices. I, we just never cared about any of that stuff. Didn't bother us. And, um, and yet today you see companies that are now going through these, you know, almost programs for it. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm wondering how effective it is, right? I mean, if if you've got an organization that doesn't have uh, much equity and inclusion and and much diversity in place, can you really teach it? Can you really change it? Because it is a cultural change that has to happen, and it it, t- it requires people to change attitudes. That's I think that's that's more difficult. It's a harder thing than than a, a training doesn't just cut it. You got to have real changes of attitudes. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And it sounds like you guys were super progressive in the 80s, which is amazing. I love to hear that. But I think it really comes from the top down. It comes from the CEO. It comes from the executive management. If they're not inclusive or that's not what they believe in, they can do whatever they want to like give people, you know, whatever information they, they want to give them. But people aren't it's, it's not going to come through. You know, it really has to be from the upper management that they have to have um, include, you know, inclusivity there, right? You can't just yeah. have, you know, like same kind of people in that upper management trying to hire a bunch of diverse, you know, making their workforce diverse, right? So I feel like that really is uh, important is to diversify the upper management and really, you know, do that first and then really trickle it down because if that doesn't work otherwise, because people really, it's fake. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just done because that's what they're told they're supposed to do because then it doesn't look good for their stocks and things like that. So, I mean, I really, like, I really just like that, that, yeah. and that a lot of companies in Silicon Valley are like that. Yeah. It's, it's, Unfortunately. Just, it's, it's just too bad. I, you know, and, and I hear stories and it just drives me nuts, but you know, um, this culture from the top is important. There was a, there was a book and, and the author's name, I was trying to think of the author's name here and I can't remember it. The book was change, change the culture, change the game. And one of the things that really struck me, one of the things that the author had written about that really struck me in this book is it's not even about what you say you want your culture to be. It's, it's about the behaviors you exhibit. Right. And, and, and I, right. yeah. And I don't know that I'll get it right, but, but, but he's, he's said, if we start at the CEO, CEO can say whatever the CEO wants. Right. Um, at the end of the day, it's the behaviors that he or she exhibits that create the experiences of the people around them and their experiences drive their beliefs. So, so his or her, you know, behaviors will drive his or her actions. Right. Um, not what they say. So, you know, again, I'll hear companies start talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and you look at that executive team and you think, 
Well, you can talk about it all you want. (laughs) What are you going to do about it? Right? Because if you don't do something about it, you don't, if you don't start making the change, if you don't start changing the beliefs at the top, it's all lip service throughout. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, so you, I mean, I, I looked at your website, um, the little bits and pieces I could, lots of diversity clearly on your team and everything. And so how has it benefited you? Tell me about, tell me about then how that's um, leveraged into the culture that you have, which is really fantastic in a lot of ways from what I hear. I mean, it's really helped just, I feel like having diversity on your team just brings more creativity, brings more ideas, brings different perspectives you know, that you wouldn't just have if you had all the same people on your team, right? So I was, I mean, I've been really lucky to hire people that really bring such different perspectives from their their side that it really grows the business. It brings new ideas and strategy and it really makes us a better, better team and better business and people love it, you know, and that's really important to be successful, right? To have, it's not just you, it's your team mm-hmm. and the culture, so... And the different, you know, as I said, the, the diversity of thoughts and ideas, and that's what makes it so awesome. So how do you find those people? So it's, it's, I mean, let's face it. It's also not as simple as just saying, oh, we need, we need more women, let's say on the team or anything like that. You still have to find qualified women. You still have to find people and you have to find people who still align to your mission and even they themselves have that belief of equity, diversity, inclusion, you know, which is clearly, clearly values in your company. So it's, it's, it's more than just looking at somebody and saying, okay, they're in it. There is, there is, there are more fit components. And, and how have you found success? How do you actually determine that somebody's the right fit in the interview process? So, I mean, to be honest, hiring is one of the hardest jobs for me, for sure, because I do really try to find those people that are going to be really a great fit. So, I mean, it's really by takes time to talk to them, to really understand where they're coming from, what their story is, where they're going, you know, um, it takes a lot, but it's definitely a, a challenge. Yeah. Because it's hard to find, you know, qualified people that are great at what you're looking for that are also diverse and believe in the same mission. So yeah, I'm definitely, I would say the hardest part of my job is still hiring but I do take it pretty seriously and, you know, take really put time into it. And I feel like it really works if you really dedicate time to it and, and the people and really get to know the people, right. And mm-hmm. see if this is the right person for your team and your mission. Yeah. You know, that, that's really the key. I, you know, you really got to You got to get to know them at the heart of who they are as a human being and, and have questions, whatever your culture is, have questions that will, will tell you whether or not they themselves have a belief system that, that aligns to it. Um, we have found in most studies that when you start the process of finding people who are culturally fit and cultural alignment to your organization, it probably takes three times longer, maybe, maybe a little more to find a person for a position that other than just hiring for a set of skills, right? Oh, here's the resume. They've got the skills, bring them in. Um, but the turnover is much lower. Right. So, so you might invest, you might invest several more months to find the right person. And that can be a painful period of time while the the position is, is open. But once you find that person, their longevity in your company is very, very long, as opposed to if you hire the wrong person and you have to terminate them or they leave because they decide the culture is not for them, whatever the case may be. Now you're back to ground zero again. So it's well worth the investment. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Take your time. Yeah. Spend the time on hiring get to know the person. Yeah. yeah. It's very important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
do you, uh, uh, so this is the kind of the, the tricky question. Do you still make mistakes in hiring? Of course. Yeah. yeah. There are some positions that are really hard to hire for. And, you know, we do have some turnover. We're not a perfect team. You know, we have a really strong team, but there's definitely positions that turn over. And yeah, that's why I told you it's one of my hardest jobs is to hire the right people. I, I think it's important though, because people think, oh, you know, we can get a hiring process that's perfect. And there is, unfortunately, there is a little bit of science, but it's more art than science, I think. And, um, and you do make mistakes. What's the hardest position in your company to hire for right now? I guess the, really the community side of things, to be honest, because that's really, you have to understand the kind of data science. You have to have a technical background, but you also have to be creative. So that is a position that is definitely, we have somebody great in it now, but it's been a struggle to hire for that because some people think, oh, I could learn this. You know, I really think it's cool. But once they get into the nitty gritty of things, it just gets, you know, kind of complicated because it is technical and they get turned off. So yeah, it's definitely um, that one has been a struggle. But we're really grateful to have a good person. She's great. Um, she's doing a great job. But if you ask me, that's that's been the tough one, I think, yeah, as far as turnover. Thank you. Uh, we're already up on our second break, so time's flying. When we come back, I want to actually talk about some of the other strategies that you've leveraged for success in your businesses. So um, everybody stay tuned. We've, we've got some more good stuff coming. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. We're back one last time with Anna Anison. So, um, Anna, we, we spend a lot of time talking about people and culture and, and um, you know, it's, it's always key. But that's not the only way to get to success. There's, there's two parts of the story. You got to have the right people. You got to have the right mission, right vision. You got to have people aligned to it. And clearly you've done that. But, I mean, you also have to get some things done. There are other strategies that are, are key. So as you consider the strategies that you employed for, for growth in your organization, what are some of the other big strategies that came into play? So I think that, as I mentioned earlier, that I've used community really as a huge strategy for all of the companies that I've been involved in. 
And I feel like it's really important to build community around um, kind of a similar mission or goal or product. So, and I've definitely been able to leverage that really successfully. And uh, Domino is a great example. We build a data science community. We were one of the first people to do that. And people really came together and they loved it. And that's really helped them close those huge deals because all those executives came to those events and they were really drinking the Kool-Aid of being part of that community. And um, that's what I've done now is build this data science community that's more open. It's not related to a vendor or a product. It's very inclusive and open for people to really come. And I mean, I know data science is a technical thing, but this could be any kind of community. You could have community around wine or, you know, gadgets or anything, right? And if you really bring people together, those people bring their money. They want to you know, spend it, they want to connect with each other, and they want to spread your mission, right? So it's kind of, again, we're going back to people really buying your mission and building community around that. And then it comes with different experiences and creating really unique experiences for that community, right? Yeah, so, so that's been a really strategy that I've used a lot and that's been successful. So this, the strategy of community, I, I understand the strategy of community. I am kind of a little curious. So we've used, utilized the term data science multiple times. And so what, tell me more about what data science is and the type of community and, and why yours is more maybe open than, than some others might be. So again, coming from Domino, I told you, I definitely did not feel and you know included and i definitely did not feel like the community there was diverse enough so i started data science salon so let's talk a little bit about data science and what that is um i'm sure that you use alexa right um so there's definitely you know uh, deep learning and nlp that goes on which is part of data science to really bring you the you know that that service um, I mean, all the data that we have now that, you know, from social media that's out there, that's pulled. So that's data science that actually gives you the, the, not what actually people are talking about, the trends and such. So what really kind of, I mean, the really simple way to explain it is there before these people, data scientists actually, it's a new term. It came around, you know, like probably 2000 five or six, that's when that kind of term came out. Before all those people were just analysts, you know, working in Excel and spreadsheets and using a lot of statistics. But then uh, the industry really took it to another level where now there's data scientists that build models and these models really are able to, um, you know, you can run different experiments on these models and you can mine all the data through these models, you know, and um, you could do this on the cloud. And that's a huge thing right now is going on the cloud. But basically all of that, what that allows people to do is really change their business and grow their business and get information from that data that they weren't before to really help them build new products, um, you know, create new innovations. So uh, healthcare is a huge place where, you know, machine learning, AI and data science are, you know, coming in play to help with cancer research and all of those things. So it's a very powerful space and it's growing really rapidly. And again, just to give you an idea, when I was just joining Domino in 2010, there was just like maybe three different products like Domino. 
And maybe like this, the steps of the data science process were maybe four or five different steps that were implemented in the process. Now it's like 20 steps and like thousands of vendors. There's thousands of them now, you know, and every, every week people are raising money for new products and different categories in the space. So it's just been astonishing to see how much it's grown. Um, and our community has at the same time too. And what our community does, it basically brings together the practitioners and managers that work on these problems and models. And we actually break it down into different industries to make it more specific and more relevant for people so they can really learn from each other and they can solve problems together, right? Because a lot of these people are working on the same problems in their organizations, but they're not coming together to help each other. And that's what we've been able to do is bring people together so they can really solve these problems and take this industry to the next level. So, and that's been really powerful. And just hearing people talk about, oh, I've met this person at the data science salon or I hired this person and they brought all this great things to my organization. That's what really makes me happy and that we're actually making a difference in the industry, you know, with moving it forward and growing it and building new tools and there's just so much richness there. And because it's so diverse, there's just so many more ideas and, you know, just great things that are coming out of it. It's been really rewarding. And that's why, um, you know, as I told you, I've never worked on anything this long, but I'm so excited to continue on. We actually are build, building a co-working space um, called the Data Science Salon here in Miami to actually bring people together in person. Wow. So, um yeah, so it's very, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm actually glad to hear that because, you know, in, in, in today's world, with with move towards tech spaces and obviously with COVID, virtual, all the things that have occurred, we've had a lot of things that have allowed people to work apart. And it's nice to hear that there's something coming that's going to bring people to, to physically together again because we're still human. We still have to have those. Have you found a lot of sub-communities form within your community and are there temporary oh, sub-communities? Yeah, we- Yes. So there's a lot of different sub communities because there are different sub things that people do in data science. Like there's natural language processing. So we have a sub community for that. There's machine learning operations, MLOps. We have community for that. There's DevOps, which is support machine learning uh, and data scientists. So we have community for that. So yes. So there's a ton of different things that emerge from that. And there's also, we also have an elevate community, which is, really designed to elevate women in data Mm -hmm. and really give them a voice. And that's really like, that's really important to me and our mission. So we've really focused on pushing that forward and connecting with huge enterprises like Netflix, Hulu, SNP. Those are all of our partners, Viacom to really help us give women and data voice and more, you know, inclusivity and all of those things. And it's been really great to see that grow. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a lot. Um, how how many members did you say you have now? We have about fifty thousand. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And you know, so so I have to 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 guess that supporting an infrastructure like that is is no cheap endeavor. How do you monetize this? I mean, you know, how do you cover the cost? Is the community free to join? Is it a membership community? How how have you turned this into a business that that is self sustaining? So, yeah, so that's a great question. So it definitely took quite a bit of time, and that's why I started Formulated by first. Um, so we can actually help other clients build their own communities. So that funded Data Science Salon in the first couple of years. 
But now we're at a point where, you know, I was able to hire a sales team and the community is strictly ran by sponsorships. So we have, you know, pretty big sponsors like IBM and Vidya and Tiger Graph and a lot of other, you know, folks in the space who support our community because the community is free to join. Most of our events are free because it's really about giving people a platform to talk about the problems that they're solving. And we don't really want to have a barrier of any costs for that. Um, now that, you know, before COVID, we were doing a lot of in-person events, uh, but then we pivoted and went virtual and we really like, like we grew so much since we've done that because we were able to open up the community to a global audience. Um, so now we've even been able to get more sponsors and that's why we're working on the, the co-working space too. Cause we really think that bringing people back in person, as you said, that's really going to be the key to really have a really strong bond with these people. Right. Cause there's a lot of people coming to Miami and if they could really come and visit the community and have, you know, the vibe and see how it all comes together. That's really powerful and impactful. It, it, it really, really is. Um, and so, you know, in finding your sponsors, I, obviously, you know, now you've got some momentum people, you know, people in the space know who you are. So it's, you know, I don't ever want to say it's, it, it's, it's easy, but it does get a little easier. Um, when you launch though. So again, when lots of listeners will want to one day start their own business or in the process of starting their own businesses, what are those, what are those first steps? I mean, it seems to me like partnerships are key and networking is key. You know, um, you yourself, uh, you know, we've, we've talked offline. You yourself are, are like many great entrepreneurs, uh, uh, and, uh, a, a networker at heart. Um, and I'm not talking a computer networker, <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, what, what were your keys? I mean, how did you get out there and really start, start that process? You know, somebody who's maybe not good networking, what advice might you have for them? Right. Yeah. So I think that, thank you for asking that question because networking is really one of the things that got me to where I am because it's just so important. Even when I was doing baseball beauties, like in my twenties, I went out there and I just went and I talked to people. Um, I, I would wear these really cool shoes cause I love shoes as well. And I would, people would start conversations with me because they liked my shoes, you know? And then that's how i actually met the, the person that introduced me to the Japanese company that, you know, purchased my first startup is because he was like, Oh, those are really cool shoes. Let's have a conversation. You know what I mean? So um, networking is key. And with data science salon, I mean, you know, coming from Domino, I definitely used a lot of those connections that I've made there, but I also went and I started going to other people's community events and meeting other community organizers and really kind of trying to make connect those connections and relationships. And I think, you know, if anybody's starting out, if you're in, in college or even in high school, you should start growing your network as soon as you can. Because now we have LinkedIn, we have all these different networks that you can really easily reach out to people and just say, hey, I'm working on this, you know, can you help? Or can I have a maybe a 15 minute call with you? And maybe a lot of those people will won't reply to you, but somebody will, you know, and if that person, that one person that does reply to you, they could change your life, essentially, you know what I mean? So yeah. I feel like just go out there, go on LinkedIn 
connect to as many people as you can go to events. I mean, I know that we couldn't go to events, but you could go to virtual events, start conversations, uh, find people on Twitter, um, just start talking to them. A lot of those influencers and people, they like that. They like when younger people reach out or not even younger, just people that have ambition and great ideas. They love that. They want to be talked to. They want to be asked for advice. You just don't be scared. Just do it. If you get rejected, try it again. It's okay. Yeah, it's it, no truer words have been said. You know, the, there's there's a very, very old saying that is still very appropriate today. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And and that speaks to the power of networking. Um, you know, the, the person who thinks they know it all and can do it by themselves, especially in today's world, they're not they're not gonna find success, at least not quickly. They may have some small successes, but but if you wanna if you wanna do something bigger, you know, a, a good network of people, a good group of people, good mentors in your life that can, you know, that have walked the, the course before who are willing to help you. There's a lot of people willing to help out there. People will answer questions. Um, it's, it's so powerful. So, yes. And mentorship. That's another one thing I just want to touch yeah. on. Get mentors because again, it's hard to find mentors, but it's worth it because they can really help you. Yeah. And, you know, um, so that's, Lots That's of them super out there. important. Yeah. So um, we're almost at the end of our time. And before we go, um, I actually would love to give our listeners, I mean, I really like what you want. Maybe there are some data scientists out there. You probably don't have to be in, in the data science community to become part of the community, right? I mean, um, no. I mean anybody can. How does somebody find the, the data salon? So you just have to Google data science dot salon, or you could just put it into Google data science salon and we will be the first people there. So, and it, we're very inclusive. If you're just starting out, you want to learn about the basics, you could find content there. And if you're very advanced or you're hiring, it's also a great place for you to go because we have over 50,000 practicing members that are part of our community. So it's definitely come and join us, uh, join the conversation because it's definitely kind of where we're all going and we are all going to be dependent on data there's more and more of it coming out every day, you know? Yes, there is. Um, I worked with a client that, that does um, what I would describe as kind of background work on data. You know, they, they actually, they're the, they're one of the companies that um, other, you like, if you go online and find a data source to go find information X, there's a high likelihood you're going through some of the work they, or, or there's two other big companies out there that do the work. And, and I can't remember how many teraflops, I mean, it was a huge, huge number of, of how, how much it's out there. I mean, the whole concept of Google, if you think about what Google means in numerical terms. Uh, anyway, uh, that's probably a whole nother conversation sometime. We are at the end of our time. Uh, Anna, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Chris. It was such a pleasure. It was really nice having you. Okay, everybody. Well, that's, uh, that's the end of the show for this week. Stay tuned. We've got more great guests coming up. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.